0: You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, a weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 9. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of The Raven and the Writing Desk. I'm Chris Lester, your guide to worlds of fantasy and wonder. If this is your first time listening to my work, you'll want to at least go back and download episode 8 which contains the first part of the story that I'm reading from today. You can find past episodes at my author site, chrislester.org, and at the Metamore City website, which is www.metamorecity.com. That's m e t a m o r city.com. While you're there, why not check out the rest of my fiction? There are more than 50 past episodes of the Metamore City podcast waiting there for your enjoyment. Today I'm bringing you part two of my superhero story, Flying Free. This story was written for the Elysian Springs Shared Universe, which was created by Lauren Scribe Harris. We're doing a Kickstarter to raise the funds to publish the first Elysian Springs anthology. We delayed the release of that Kickstarter for a few days because Scribe had to take care of some other business, but it will be kicking off on Monday, July 6th. I'll put the link in the show notes as soon as I have it. As a reminder, this story deals with mature content, including issues of racism and homophobia in the mid-20th century. Although I've avoided using overt racial slurs, the terminology that the characters use is appropriate to the period, and some of it would not be considered appropriate today. There is also some profanity, so be forewarned about that. Now then, let's get on with the story. Flying Free An Elysian Springs Story By Chris Lester Part 2 June 2015 This is a strange place for your retirement, Barbara said. She had wheeled Elias back into the dining hall, where the bulk of Elysian Springs residents had gathered for breakfast. Barbara refilled his coffee and got a cup for herself, and they settled down at a table for two in an out-of-the-way corner. Barbara kept her back to the wall and her eyes on all the exits. "'Is it?' Elias asked. "'How so?' Barbara gestured at a purple-skinned man the size of a gorilla, who sat brooding over a plate of scrambled eggs and grits. "'These are all capes, aren't they? Most of them probably could have broken you in half even before the accident.' "'I suppose they could.' Elias sipped his coffee." So, if this place is for supers, why'd they let you in? When it comes right down to it, we were just airmen in fancy suits. That's true, Barbara, Elias admitted, but not all of our enemies were just men in fancy suits. He nodded thoughtfully. I was Black Hawk for twenty years, and I flew a desk for Eagle Flight for twenty more. That's plenty of time to make enemies. Ah, Barbara said. And now that you're retired, if any of them decided to settle up, I can do worse than to be surrounded by a lot of superhuman friends, Elias said, grinning. Barbara looked down at her coffee. Her own smile was quieter and seemed to be turned mostly inwards. That's definitely true. So, Elias said, how are things in Stockholm? Oh, they're good, Barbara said quickly. I'm teaching now, at the Royal Institute of Technology. I've been doing that for about... seventeen years now? God, time flies. Zelda's working for the government, advising the younger heroes. She still puts on the cape from time to time, but it's a young person's game, and she knows it. Uh Uh-huh, Elias said. You thinking about retirement yourselves? Barbara waggled her hand. Maybe. I mean, I'm still in good shape, and Zelda is... Well, she's Zelda, Odin's gift, and all we could probably work another ten years easy, sure, sure, Elias agreed, but Barbara sighed. It's cold, Elias. It's cold and it's dark, and God damn it, I miss San Francisco. Have you ever tried to get good Ethiopian food in Sweden? Let me save you the trip. It's impossible. Elias chuckled. <laughs> So, why don't you move back? A distinguished professor like yourself, I'm sure Berkeley would love to have you. Maybe, Barbara said again. It's just... She trailed off, shaking her head. Elias looked down at his coffee, took a sip. America's changed a lot since the 60s, Barbara. Hell, it's changed a lot since 2008. You must have heard the news. Barbara closed her eyes and nodded we have but it's hard to trust you must understand that there's nobody left to hold a grudge go elias said seriously every man who did you wrong in that business they're all dead and buried nobody even remembers it barbara's fingers tightened around her cup i remember it she whispered april 1967 Elias sighed in relief as he opened the stairwell and entered the basement of the administration building. Up topside, Saigon was melting in the brutal April heat, but down here the airbase's personnel could get a little relief. He went to the break room they'd set up in one of the storage rooms. A few throw rugs and salvaged chairs and couches gave it a modicum of comfort. Brigadier General Pierce sat alone in the corner, gripping a cup of coffee and listening to the radio. The dark expression on his face immediately put Elias on alert. Massive anti-war protests rocked New York City today, the radio announcer said. Over 100,000 pacifists, hippies, and beatniks marched from Central Park to the United Nations, where they urged the UN to take action to stop U.S. bombings in North Vietnam. Dr. Martin Luther King addressed the crowds. Pierce's face twisted into a mask of loathing. His hand shot out and switched off the radio with a loud snap. He suddenly noticed Elias watching and glared up at him. Dr. King, he growled, tell me you aren't related to that pinko son of a bitch, Blackhawk. Elias did not look down. That would only have made Pierce angrier, but he carefully hid his own feelings behind a mask years in the making. I don't believe so, sir. He's from Atlanta, as I recall. He may as well be from goddamn Moscow. Blasted, naive, leftist fools. We give them a real Negro hero, and who do they follow? A damn Trotskyist. The break room was suddenly feeling a lot less inviting. Elias turned his back on the general and went to the makeshift kitchenette to pour himself a cup of coffee. Have you seen Barbara around, sir? Huh? Not since dinner yesterday. Why? No reason. Just wanted to ask us something. I'll see you later, sir. Pierce grunted, waving a hand at Elias. He flipped the radio back on and turned the knob to the music station. They were playing a big band standard from before the war. Pierce settled back in his chair and closed his eyes. Elias took his coffee and left. He found Barbara sitting on a wooden crate full of ration packs in a room filled with more of the same. He knocked on the doorframe as he came in. She looked up at him chagrin mixing with pain behind the tear tracks on her face. Babs? What's wrong? Barbara looked down at something in her hands. It seemed to be a crumpled, folded envelope. This came for me at mail call yesterday. Her voice was barely above a whisper. Oh, Lord. Did someone back home die? It was the worst thing Elias could think of. What? No, no, it's... Barbara seemed to hesitate, considering something. I could be in some trouble. It might be better for you if you don't know. Elias clucked his tongue. Girl, come on. What kind of talk is that? With teammates. He settled down on the crate beside her. Come on, tell me. What's going on? Wordlessly, Barbara handed over the envelope. Elias opened it and pulled out the contents. There were several news clippings about Eagle Flight and several more about Valkyrie. One had a photograph of Barbara and Zelda standing together and smiling during a presidential visit to West Germany. Someone had circled the two women with a red marker. Below the news clippings, there was a stack of candid photographs of Barbara and Zelda together. One put them at a cafe in Paris together, another coming out of Zelda's apartment in Munich. A third behind the bleachers at a soccer game in England where Barbara and Zelda were embracing. The photos were a little out of focus, and had clearly been developed by an amateur, but there was no mistaking the two women. The last piece of paper was printed with a short message in block capital letters. I know your secret. Instructions will follow. You will obey them precisely and promptly, or there will be consequences. Damn, Elias murmured. Somebody's trying to blackmail you? Barbara sniffled and nodded. I don't know how he got it past the censors. Must have a guy on the inside or something. Is it true? Are you in Zelda? He hesitated. Lesbians? Barbara drawled out the word, lacing it with scorn. Yes, Elias, it's true. She shook her head. They'll have my commission for this. What? Barbara, No. Elias considered whether to share this next bit, then forged on. Look, back in the academy there was this other cadet I used to go drinking with. One night we got back to his place pretty late, and I was in no shape to get home, so he invited me in. And one thing led to another, and, well... He shrugged. We were both professionals. We never let it affect our work. I'm pretty sure our CO found out, but we kept it quiet and he protected us. He knew the regs as well as anyone, but he also knew that sometimes the regs are wrong. He had our backs. He put a hand on her upper back, patted it. You know Pius would too. If he stood up for a black man named King, he'll stand up for you. You've just got to keep it quiet. Barbara looked up at him miserably. But that's the thing, Elias. I don't want to keep it quiet. This isn't some... Some drunken experimentation in college. I love Zelda. We want to share our lives together, and she's completely unashamed of who and what she is. She shook her head. Wish I could be that. Elias considered that. He thought about his own people standing in front of the Lincoln Memorial and on the bridge at Selma and sitting on the buses and at the lunch counters. There comes a time when you have to be that. When something's who you are, deep down in your soul, and other people don't like it, then you got a choice. Then you either stand up proudly for who you are, and damn the consequences, or you're going to spend the rest of your life ducking your head and not looking anyone in the eye. He remembered something then, and it made him smile, in spite of the distaste he'd been feeling for Pierce when he walked in here. Remember the day you first came to join us? I'd been arguing with Pierce, about whether I needed to be out in front of the world as the Negro member of Eagle Flight. I thought I could just stay hidden inside the suit and nobody needed to know. But Pierce knew different. He knew that if I hid my skin then, I'd be hiding the rest of my life. He squeezed Barbara's shoulder. What you got is easier in some ways. People can't see what you feel when you're walking down the street. But you got it harder, too, because you're alone. You haven't got the grassroots movement that we have. Barbara nodded slowly. I think that needs to change. No doubt, Elias agreed. He held up the stack of papers. But let's think strategically about this. Somebody wants something from you. Let's try to find out who it is, string them along, play for time, and watch for your moment when you can get out ahead of this thing. What kind of moment? Not sure yet. Maybe we win this war and kick the commies out of Hanoi. Maybe you get a silver star because of one of our missions. Maybe you and Valkyrie take down another nut job like Doctor Defiler. But when the world is watching and you got everyone speaking well of you, then you tell them. You make them listen, and you own it on your terms. Slowly, Barbara nodded. It will be risky, but I can't see another way out. Not unless I run away and hide, and that sort of thing's never sat well with me. Don't I know it? Elias stood, patted her on the back again. You won't be alone on this. You just tell me the next time you hear from your blackmailer. Once we know what they want, we'll know what to do next. May, 1967 General Pierce looked up from the stack of papers at his two officers. His face was redder than Elias had ever seen it. You're telling me that the Reds have an agent in my own goddamn support staff? It looks that way, General, Elias said grimly. He tapped the page with the first set of demands from the blackmailer. Who else would want this kind of intel on our suit designs? Oh, plenty of people, Pierce growled. But not many of them could sneak a message like this past military censors. What are we going to do, sir? Barbara asked. The first thing you're going to do is keep it in your pants, Pierce snapped. No more contact with Valkyrie, in or out of uniform. She no longer exists in your universe. Barbara's eyes flashed in anger. She opened her mouth to protest. Or, Pierce said, cutting her off, you resign your commission. Damn it, woman, I am trying to save your skinny ass, but you have got to let me. Barbara lowered her eyes and nodded once. Can I at least send her a message? I need to let her know what's going on. You write a letter, I'll put it in her hands myself the next time I'm in Germany, Pierce said. That's the best I can do. I understand. Thank you, sir. Pierce held up two fingers. Second, we can use this to feed misinformation to the Reds. I'll put in a word with Director Helms, tell him that one of my officers got caught in a honeypot. We'll see what kind of plausible-sounding bullshit they can come up with to pass along. He chuckled nastily. With any luck, the Russians will try to build the suit and blow up some of their best pilots. Elias and Barbara shared a sidelong glance. That was in poor taste, even by Pierce's standards. But the man was saving Osprey's ass, so they let it go. Is there anything else, sir? Elias asked. Not right now. We got enough to do just keeping a lid on the Viet Cong. Just keep doing your job and don't make waves. That goes for you too, King. America needs to see good Negro officers doing their duty, not trying to tear us down from the inside. Dismissed. Elias and Barbara walked out of Pierce's office, out of the building, and into the warm, wet evening air. Saigon didn't cool off much even after dark, but at least the insecticide kept down the mosquitoes on base. So much for not hiding, Barbara said glumly. Am I a pussy, Elias? Elias choked out a laugh. I have no response to that. I'm serious. Should I have just resigned? Elias looked up at the night sky. The clouds tonight were thick and heavy. It was a bad night for flying. He sent out good wishes for whoever was on cap tonight. If you resign, they win, he said. If you out yourself at the right moment, they court-martial you, and maybe they still win. But maybe you win some people over, too. Maybe enough to make a difference. Maybe, Barbara said, dubiously. But how will I know when it's the right moment? Elias thought back to the bridge at Selma. When you can't stand it another day, he said. June, 1969 Elias had just sat down with his breakfast tray when a copy of Stars and Stripes landed in front of him. Good morning to you, too. He looked up at Barbara, eyebrows raised. She stood over him, fuming, the muscles in her neck bulging out. Look at page ten, she growled. Elias unfolded the newspaper, turning to page ten. It didn't take long to find what she was hot about. The riots in Greenwich Village, he guessed. The riots, Barbara spat the word as she collapsed into the seat next to him. Some of us finally stand up to those pigs and they call it a riot. Elias scanned the article. Looks like it got ugly. He grinned at her. That's when you know you've struck a nerve. Except I didn't do shit, Barbara said. My people are out there, finally fighting for their rights, and where have I been? Saigon, Okinawa, Seoul, Munich, Paris. I've spent the last two years shuttling around on one mission after another, keeping my head down like Pierce wanted. Nice and quiet and safe. She shook her head. <sighs> I can't keep doing this. Hey. Elias looked around the room, but nobody was close enough to hear their conversation. He leaned into Barbara's ear. Who do you think you're telling, girl? you seen what my people been up to these last ten years? You think I didn't want to be out there with the Freedom Riders? You think it didn't break my heart when they killed Dr. King? Barbara looked at him evenly. Honestly, Elias, it's been hard to tell. You're quiet and stoic and dependable. Exactly what Pierce made you to be. A good Negro officer. That stung. Elias looked down at his plate. My point is, we choose our battles. The folks back home get to deal with the enemies back home. We handle the enemies out here. Do we? Barbara pressed. Have you paid attention to how things are going out here, Elias? We aren't going to beat the Reds in Nam. Johnson threw 30,000 boys into the meat grinder for nothing. We take out one of these supervillain wackos every couple of years, and next year three more have popped up. She shook her head. Eagle Flight hasn't made a damned bit of difference. Not on the stuff that really matters. It was a sobering thought, the kind Elias usually reserved for the hours of midnight to 3 a.m., when he was lying in his bunk and couldn't sleep. Breakfast wasn't the time or the place for this kind of melancholy. So what do you suggest? Our tour's up in August, Barbara said. We go back to New York, we call a press conference, and we tell our story, just like you told me to when all this started. Whoa, we? Elias asked. We who? You, me, and Zelda, Barbara whispered. Two heroes of Eagle Flight and the world-famous Valkyrie? That will get attention. You told me yourself that you've had homosexual lovers. One, singular, Elias hissed. Can we not use that word in here, please? It was Barbara's turn to raise her eyebrows. You tell me to come out, but you don't want to do it yourself? You're the one who said you can't live like this, Elias countered. I can be flexible about it. Fine. Barbara said. Then you speak out for black rights and I'll speak for gay rights. We should still do it together. It's all the same fight, isn't it? There was a lot Elias could have said to that. For one thing, Barbara's grandparents hadn't been bought and sold this property. But there were some things you couldn't say out loud and still remain friends. So he held his tongue, spread his hands in surrender, and sighed. Fine. Tell me when and where, and I'll be there. Barbara leaned over and kissed him on the cheek. Thank you. I will. They said no more on the matter, letting their breakfast conversation range freely over other topics. But every time he looked down at his tray, words from the newspaper article caught his eye. Homosexuals. Rioters. Arrests. Burned. Hospitalized. Damn, he thought. I hope we're doing the right thing. And that was part two. Tune in next time for the third and final part of the story. Now it's time to check in on my writing progress with the weekly writing report. This week was a busy one, both at work and in my home life, so I didn't get as much time to write as in some previous weeks. However, I did make it a point to sit down every day and make at least my minimum word count of 350 words or more. At the time I'm composing this script on Friday night, I've written 4,659 words this week, in 5.25 hours, for an average writing speed of 887 words per hour, which is my personal best so far. I think that part of that speed came from writing in shorter bursts, so I spent less time staring at the keyboard and wondering what to say next. Now, a big chunk of that total word count was working on the script for last week's show, especially the huge feedback section on To Walk in Shadow. Still, I did add almost 3,000 words to my new Metamore City novella, The Three Graces. This story is an interesting challenge for me, because it's written in first-person perspective with three different narrators. Once it's done, I'm going to need to do a careful editing pass to make sure that each of the characters maintains a consistent voice throughout the story. And finally, here's some feedback.
1: Hey, Chris, it's Sarah Testarossa. I've been listening to your latest episode. I didn't get to listen to the whole thing because I didn't have enough time. But um, I wanted to say, one, thank you for the additions of all that stuff in the feedback section. Yeah, I jumped ahead to the feedback section because I was curious about what was in there. But (laughs) I did like your additions um, and responses to the comments and also um, really appreciated Mildred Katie's discussion of Ball and the other stuff like related to Metamorph universe history stuff. That was really some interesting tidbits, the stuff about mana usage with magic, because I don't really, I guess I don't really always think about it that much. I mean, I'm a little bit newer to stuff that actually talks about the cost of magic in fiction. But in terms of flying free, I'm only like 15 minutes into the podcast, but I'm really enjoying it so far. I really, really appreciated the kind of rant about why they are going to call Elias Blackhawk. I mean, just that, that rant about, you know, the people just having their heads up their asses or being morons about race and pretty much, it was just a really good good little speech there. I thought that was very well written. And I liked that he made Elias make eye contact with him. I mean, it's like it's like, don't freaking bow your head at me like that. I also had liked, though, what he had learned to do around white men or white people. I definitely know that, you know, even these days, you know, I have some people, some friends who have talked about, you know, yeah, these are a list of things that I have to do to get by in society and how to act with white people. And, you know, the fact that that's even a thing nowadays is pretty problematic, as we know. Thanks,
0: Sarah. Colonel Pierce was a fascinating character for me to write. He came into my head with a very strong voice, and I never had to wonder about what he thought about anything. As you heard in this episode, his views aren't always sympathetic, and if I had to deal with him in real life, I would find him exhausting and irritating. But he represents a very real type of American warrior, and I can admire his virtues, even as I cringe at his shortcomings.
1: But, um, I'm really digging the, uh, the description in the story. I think i you know, I, I like your writing style in terms of descriptiveness, but I think it's sometimes just kind of interesting to hear when it's just a peaceful, calm setting. Like in the very beginning of the story, it's one thing that's important to have well in action scenes, but it's nice for in even the calm times to be able to feel the calm and to just see the day that he's looking at. So, I don't know, I just thought that was kind of cool.
0: If you'd like to give feedback on the show, you can send it in text or mp3 audio to metamorecityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, call area code 641-715-3900 and enter extension 255082, followed by the pound sign. You can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash author chris lester and on Twitter as ethereus, E-T-H-E-R-I-U-S. To participate in story discussion, join the Fans of Metamore City Facebook group, or come to the discussion forums at metamorecity.freeforums.org. And be sure to check out our Kickstarter for Elysian Springs when it goes live on Monday. That's all for this week. Come back next time for more fiction fresh off the writer's desk. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. This podcast and its contents are copyright 2015 by Liminal Corvid Press. The show is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no-derivatives license. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.